Okay, good afternoon, and welcome to uh, the first of this year's University Colloquium Series. It's great to see you all here. I'm looking forward to hearing from Professor Ron Schultz today. For students who are here and who are scanning in to get your convo points, just remember if you want the point, you also got to scan out at the end. So uh, on your way out, make sure you scan out. Uh, our speaker today is Ron Schultz, who's Associate Professor in Teacher Education and also the coordinator for our uh, PK to 6 uh, teacher education program. Uh, he's worked here at EMU for a number of years, I think started in 2011, uh, not too long after I did, um, and finished up his doctoral work at George Mason in 2018. He's been doing research on uh, how to best support um, teachers, instructors who are working in multilingual settings, which of course is a matter of crucial importance here in our own Harrisonburg, Rockingham community. So Ron's work is a good example of what we mean by linking theory and practice and doing scholarship that's relevant. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your work, Ron, welcome. Thank you, Fred, um, and all those that are responsible for giving us the opportunity as faculty to have a sabbatical semester. Um, and so it's like first ever in career to have a semester to really you know, focus on some of these other areas of interest as well as research, so that's awesome. And also thank you to my education program colleagues for the extra responsibilities that they each picked up during the semester. Um, while I was off campus. And uh, so the, the title that I chose here for this afternoon is sabbatical sharing, which we're doing here, scholarship teaching and service, which those of you that are faculty know that that's you know, part of our annual goals, our um, evaluations as well. And so when I was preparing for my sabbatical, uh, I, I wanted to try to maximize the semester that I had and try to do something that was related to all three of these areas. Um, and so I will focus primarily on the kind of the scholarship portion, um, a particular research project that I was working on, but also a uh, touch base towards the end with some teaching and service opportunities that I had during the semester and, um, and at the conclusion of the semester as well. I generally refer to myself as a generalist as, uh, as regards elementary education. That's what my K-12 teaching experience was like before, uh, before teaching at the uh, university level. Uh, but I've had life experiences along the way that also pointed me in the direction of dual language uh, learning or bilingual education. And, um, and that was really reinforced during the, the six years that my family and I lived in Cusco, Peru. That was just before moving then to Harrisonburg, uh, where I was able to help to be part of starting a bilingual school there. Uh, and so it was also through that lens and with that motivation that I continued to, uh, well, even part of my doctoral program at George Mason, was also related to multicultural, multilingual education, as well as teacher education. And uh, as Fred mentioned, informed some of my ongoing research interests as well. Um, and so the primary study that I was focusing on this uh, past spring semester was understanding the needs of dual language teachers in an effort to support their teaching effectiveness and long longevity in the profession. Huge supporter of dual language education. I think there's so many benefits to it. Um, and yet there was a kind of this um, ongoing concern with regard to teacher attrition in general, but also specifically in dual language programs. And so uh, my interest was kind of diving a little bit deeper and understanding what's behind some of those challenges. Um, and so Amanti, uh, in some of his research, identifies a couple of these challenges that 
bilingual teachers are in short supply. So if you're going to have a dual language program, you need to have bilingual teachers. And so uh, that's, that was one, one concern. Secondly, is that, um, that the, the concern wasn't only with recruiting dual language teachers or bilingual teachers, but also in retaining them. And so looking at factors that do affect the attrition, those choosing to leave the classroom uh, as dual teachers. And then this statistic that 50% of new teachers leave the profession within five years, which is, again, really alarming, uh, concerning for, for those of us as, as educators. And so, uh, you know, if that's true in general education for the dual language, um, program where your pull to draw f teachers is even smaller, it's, uh, it's an even greater concern. And then there is uh, certainly research on work how working conditions impact uh, that particular challenge or the motivation for some student, for some teachers to be leaving their roles as dual language teachers. And um, or to stay, right? It can be positive or negative, but uh, taking a closer look at those working conditions. And so these were the things that were in the back of my mind as I was thinking about this particular study, the types of questions that I wanted to be asking, and, um, and the, then the, the sort of recommendations uh, that I hoped could be helpful for uh, school divisions that, that have either already chosen to have a dual language program or that are considering starting dual language programs uh, because there are more and more of them across the country. So multiple factors, right? Influence a teacher's choice to leave the classroom or even the teaching profession altogether. And so if we're to reverse this trend, we need to have greater understanding of these dynamics. And so that was, again, the goal of this study, to understand those and also think about ways to be supportive of the teachers that are there in hopes that they will then um, not only just have a greater sense of competence in their work, but also satisfaction that will lead to greater longevity in their role as a dual language teacher. And so the, the methodology that I used, um, I tend to be primarily a, uh, a qualitative researcher. Um, there were, this was a little bit of a mixed study, but it was primarily um, qualitative. But I did start out with a survey that, uh, with a particular school division that I was, um, that I was working with. I asked all, sent an email out to all of the dual language teachers asking if they would be willing to respond to a survey that would take about 30 minutes of their time. Based on that response, they were invited to participate in an individual interview. And then from those interviews, uh, I asked if they would be willing for me to come and visit their classrooms and do some classroom observation as well. And then uh, there was an instructional coach specifically for the dual language program in this school division, who also was willing, uh, I, I collaborated with her in, uh, not only in terms of access, but even in terms of direction in some cases. Uh, and she already had some monthly meetings scheduled with the dual language teachers in the various schools in the division. Uh, and so I went to observe some of their monthly meetings as well. Um, as a result, data was reviewed, coded, tri triangulated among these different areas of my uh, data collection, and then with the goal of identifying what are some common themes here that could be helpful in not only giving feedback to this particular school division, but also to share with other school divisions who may be uh, facing similar challenges. So with regard to um, the, the survey data, and again, these slides, I'm gonna apologize right away that there's a lot of text on, <laughs> on them that I, um, is, is not advised when <laughs> it's presentation slides. However, it's for the purpose of giving context to some of their remarks. So I'm not expecting that you need to read all of the text, but, uh, but to see how some of the points are, are situated within the data that I collected. 
There were 56 um, dual language teachers and 19 at the K to five level responded. There was one middle school teacher, but then after the survey, they um, opted out. And so I really just focused on elementary teachers in dual language programs. 11 of them taught in the Spanish side of dual as it's often referred to, and nine of them and the, uh, were English teachers. And interesting to note, which again I think to me is an indication that there's just a lot of turnover, is that of these that participated, um, over half of them, 12 of the 20, were in either their first or second year of teaching, uh, which again I think is telling. I asked them about their motivation for teaching the dual language program. Why, would they, uh, why did they choose in the first place to, uh, to engage in an important work that also has a lot of significant challenges? And a lot of them said that their motivation was because of the benefits that they saw for students. And that's what motivated them as teachers. They, um, they felt like it was a, an equity issue, seeing students uh, of diversity in this particular school division, uh, a high percentage of students coming from, from Spanish-speaking families, and therefore this particular dual language program was an English-Spanish program. There are many different models, but this was a 50-50 English-Spanish program. And so providing opportunities for those whose Spanish is their first language to, to have some of their education in that language is, is also um, again, addresses uh, equity of, uh, for those students. Um, also, because they felt like it was a good match for their own skills. You know, certainly for those teachers that were bilingual, they're like, there aren't many of us currently in our school systems, and so here is a need. I've got particular skills, in this case, bilingual skills to help meet that need, and so uh, they decided uh, that they really wanted to be a part of, of a dual language program. And then some of them, quite frankly, said, my administrator asked if I would. Um, in some cases, kind of said, you're our only option. You need to do this. Uh, and so, of course, you know, the, that greatly impacts teachers' uh, perception of their, of their own work uh, when they're kind of told this is what they need to do even though it's not their, not their preference. And so, again, most positive motivation, but some, uh, some not so positive as well. Um, I asked them about how do they decide what type of curriculum or teaching materials to use, because that's often a particular challenge for dual language teachers, especially those in the Spanish instruction part of the dual language program. And then, and so this is what they mentioned. Some of it's determined, much of it is determined by the, uh, the school pacing guide, the curriculum, the, the framework that's provided to them. Uh, some of the particular resources, such as a reading program that they worked with. Collaboration as part of a grade level team and working together to develop resources for their instruction. And also uh, basing it on what they knew to be best practice for instruction and also the needs of the specific students in their classroom. I asked them about uh, pre preparation and professional development opportunities. And 16 of the 20 said that really they just had a sort of general education, elementary education degree um, and had no specific training in dual language uh, education. And so again, that impacts I think the, the level of preparedness, um, efficacy that a teacher might feel when they haven't really had specific preparation for this unique role that they have as a teacher. Uh, they did mention a couple of other trainings, conferences, uh, book club that they participate on occasion. Relationships. We all uh, know this as educators is so important. And, uh, and that's true on many levels, but certainly in a dual program with the co-teacher. Uh, in this particular model, as I mentioned, it was a 50-50, so you have the, the, let's just say, the fourth grade Spanish teacher uh, who also then partners with the 
English teacher. They each have approximately 20 students. One, they have one group in the morning, their coworker has another group in the morning and then the afternoon, flip-flop. Um, and so that collaboration, that relationship between those two teachers is, is really critical. Most of them spoke very positively about that relationship uh, in terms of their planning, uh, and it really is what kind of motivates them to stay in that particular role. But there were others who were dissatisfied for a variety of reasons as well. Some because they felt like that their co-teacher wasn't really all that invested, and this most often happened uh, with the perspective of the Spanish teacher with regard to their English co-teacher for reasons, as I mentioned earlier, where maybe they were shoulder tapped and said, okay, there are three other of you classroom teachers at this grade level. One of you has to teach the English side of dual. So are you going to pick straws or how are you going to decide? And anyway, it ends up sometimes being uh, by default or not really by choice. And so that sometimes has an adverse effect on that relationship then with the co-teacher. Or that they're just beginning. It's, it's a new experience and it takes time to develop that sort of relationship. I asked them about grade level team relationships. Uh, what about, uh, because in this particular school division, it wasn't all of the sections in the school that were dual language. There was only one English, one Spanish classroom um, for each grade level. And then however many other sections that there were in that school, they were just monolingual English um, all day long teachers. And so there are differences in terms of their goals, their planning, uh, scheduling and that sort of thing. Uh, and so that can sometimes make those uh, grade level relationships challenging. Uh, many of them did speak positively about the support and the interactions with their grade level team. Others also expressed some concerns that sometimes the PD that was provi provided or in their professional learning communities, their grade level team meetings, some of much of what was discussed wasn't necessarily applicable to them as dual language teachers. And so sometimes it felt like a waste of their time. So there were some of those concerns that were expressed as well. And some that just kind of felt like they were an island, like they kind of had to figure this out for themselves. I asked about collaboration with dual language teachers across grade levels at their school or in other schools because there were, um, there were five schools within this, elementary schools within this division who had a dual language program. And so I said, you know, as fourth grade dual teachers, do you ever interact with fourth grade dual teachers from other schools to be that sort of support for each other? And again, um, you know, there, was, there were a few that spoke very positively about their relationships, uh, but many of them felt like that you know, the majority in this case expressed concerns that number one, there just wasn't a framework or a system in place to encourage that sort of collaboration, or number two, everybody just felt like uh, they were too busy to, for other meetings added to, to their schedules in addition to um, collaboration within their own schools. For administrators, which is also a crucial relationship, most of them were positive, um, and they felt very supported by their administrators, but there were a couple that felt like there was a disconnect, like the administrator really didn't understand the unique needs that they have as a dual language teacher. Uh, and, and so, they didn't feel like that sort of support was there or that they didn't feel that that advocacy was there on their behalf when they had particular needs that they expressed. And for students' families, um, which, is, which is also uh, such an important role of supporting students in their, in their learning. And so these were the, the methodologies, the approaches that many of them used in trying to establish that relationship with, with families, um, documenting what was happening 
the learning that was taking place in their classroom, sharing that with parents, uh, sometimes using platforms like Seesaw or Class Dojo as a way to give updates to families about what their students are learning in the classroom, um, and trying to be really regular and frequent in their communication, not just when you know, once a semester during parent-teacher conferences or, or that sort of thing. And so they felt like that worked really well. There were some roadblocks or some limitations, challenges that they experienced in those relationships as well. Finding the time to communicate because as dual language teachers, they're working with 40 students instead of 20. Uh, and so it's double the number of families that they need to communicate with. Uh, feeling that sometimes the families didn't really understand the program and so therefore weren't as supportive as, uh, as they would have liked. And for those that were teaching the English side of dual, that there were often, they often some, they themselves were not bilingual and so communicating with Spanish-speaking families was difficult and then they'd have to kind of defer to their co-teacher, feeling like they were placing an extra burden on them. And so those were just some of the challenges that they experienced. So those, you know, that was the survey data that, um, that I then was, was reviewing and looking for, again, common responses, themes, but then triangulating that with uh, some more in-depth information as I was able to talk one-on-one -on -one with some teachers and, and get their feedback, asking them kind of follow-up follow questions to their responses on the survey to have a better understanding. Uh, and so you can see it was kind of spanned over uh, many of the grade levels, uh, first through, through fifth. Uh, some of them that teach in the English side of dual, some of them on the Spanish. Uh, and these were, again, some of the common themes that came out of those interviews. That uh, native Spanish speakers tended to feel more confident in their role if they were teaching in the Spanish side of dual. Um, there was pretty much uniform agreement from everybody that material preparation is one of the greatest challenges because you can't just you know, go online or, um, or access other resources in the school building that are available in English and, you know, and find translations in Spanish. And so a lot of them have to spend time creating their own materials, translating documents, um, books for, their, uh, for, for younger readers um, and communicating with parents. Uh, all of that type of thing takes, takes more, of their, more of their time. A couple of them created shared drives to try to do more collaboration, but for whatever reason, uh, people weren't really taking advantage of it. Teachers weren't. And so then the couple that were felt like, well, if, Nobody else is really going to invest in this, then why should I? So then motivation kind of went down, and it just kind of stalled out, was what I observed there. Um, many of them talked about a lack of clarity with regard to curriculum guide. Um, and so that made it really difficult for them to know how to, to really move forward effectively in their instruction. Uh, there was a big push towards integrating content, so your math, your social studies and science, with the language arts, uh, which pedagogically, again, is a great idea, but in terms of resources, it, it again requires the teacher to then be uh, really creative in finding ways to do that integration. Um, and and uh, supply is, is not really there at this point. Um, talking again about the, the quality of the co-teaching relationship, and so many of them expounded on that more in the interview in terms of what was working really well and some things that, that were not. Um, and also feeling like many English language teaching strategies uh, could be also apply, that you would use in a general ed classroom with students who are learning English as another language can also be translated or applied in a dual language classroom. And so um, they found that, that was something they found particularly helpful. 
One of my favorite parts, of course, was being able to go into the classroom. And, uh, and so several of them were willing for me to come in, spend some time in their classroom, observing them, interactions with students. Um, and, and so uh, that, again, allowed another layer of, of observation. Seeing the types of teaching strategies that they were utilizing, instructional strategies, uh, again, there was a lot of good evidence of, of best practice teaching happening. So that was really encouraging to see. So that even though it was a lot of work on their part, um, I could see uh, the, the benefits of it in terms of student engagement, their responses uh, in the classroom. And so, um, so that, was, that was one observation. Another thing that really impressed me, uh, because this hasn't been the case in every classroom that I've, that I've been in in different dual language programs, but uh, with regard to the use of the target language, almost 100% of teacher talk anyway was in the target language. Uh, so they were not doing a lot of, of translation. Sometimes students would respond in English, even though, a, even though the teacher was teaching in Spanish, particularly for the younger ones. But, uh, but the teacher was using uh, almost exclusively Spanish. And, um, and so, so students were getting a lot of exposure, uh, which, was, which is so important in language acquisition. Uh, they, it was really only at the kindergarten level where I saw real specific literacy instruction because, as I mentioned, the division was really moving towards doing more integration of, of literacy instruction. Learning goals and objectives were, were clearly presented to students. Um, and in the lower grades, there was often a teaching, teacher's assistant who, in the Spanish classroom, Many of them were also Spanish speaking, which was again a huge support for uh, the students. And that isn't, again, always the case where there's a shortage of, of bilingual uh, teachers or even support staff. Most classrooms um, had a few students who, and this is true again of every classroom, that had particular both academic and behavioral needs and it was really encouraging for me to see the strategies, the ways that they were um, trying to effectively meet those needs. And just a real quick story here, because I, to me this was an, an impactful part of it, was uh, an experience, was when I went into a third grade classroom. And shortly after I got there, uh, the teacher kind of got all the rest of the students working on something um, and asked if I would step out into the hallway with one of her students. And so we went out there and she said, to this student, this is Mr. Schultz. He's here just to see what we're learning about in our classroom today, and um, and asked, you know, if he had any questions for me or any particular concerns. He was good. We went back into the classroom, and that was it. And I was kind of like wondering, okay, what was that all about? <laughs> but then later, when I was able to do some debriefing with this teacher, she explained to me that she created this box here that you see, um, and it was this, you know, caja. Um, de preocupaciones o miedos. You know, if, if there were any, if there was anything that this student had that was a concern for them or a worry for them, they could communicate it, write it down, put it in the box, and then, number one, the monster would kind of assume, <laughs> take care of that responsibility so that they didn't need to carry that. And, in effect, what happened was that the teacher would follow up with that in some way uh, in providing the support that the student needed. And so there's a, there was a whole background story to, to the, the, the anxiety that this student experienced if a visitor came in the classroom. Um, but the way that she handled that situation uh, to me was just was, was really impactful. And again, I saw teachers doing lots of, lots of great work um, in many different ways. Incorporation of technology morning meetings as a way to develop classroom community, um, and being intentional, even in their lessons, of helping to make connections across uh, varied cultural backgrounds uh, were all, again, really great um, instructional strategies that were, that were used and relational ones. So then at the very end, I asked them 
uh, teachers, and I, again, uh, this was sort of a, a very brief survey response that was sent out to all dual language teachers, whether they anticipated continuing in their current role the next school year. And I got a much greater response to this. Uh, so nearly two-thirds, approximately two-thirds responded. Um, I'm sorry, 73% responded. Nearly two-thirds of them saying that they, as far as they knew at that point, uh, near the end of this past academic year, anticipated main, uh, remaining in their current role for this year. Um, which, okay, two-thirds is great, but that means a third is transitioning again. And what impact does that have on the overall program that really needs stability in order to continue to improve? And so, um, so that was, uh, that was, that was one observation. They shared their motivation for why they wanted to stay. Some of them, some of the reasons again were duplicated, uh, were duplicates of why they chose to be a dual language teacher in the first place. Um, and then, again, their reasons for not continuing were either because of lack of support, um, feeling like the articulation plan for them changed every year without their input as teachers, and so they kind of felt like they, just, they no longer had the energy or motivation to keep adjusting their instructional approaches each year to adapt to another articulation plan. And so that frustration led some of them not necessarily leave teaching altogether, but perhaps leave uh, the dual language program. Lack of resources and the extra time required. Um, and, and again, the, the frequent change um, that, that was difficult, especially for the Spanish teachers who, if every year or two, they had another co-teacher teaching the English side of dual. It, in that regard, with that relationship, it's like starting over again, and that's a huge investment. And so um, for some of them, they, they expressed that as a concern as well. So after reviewing um, all, of, uh, all of this data that was collected from these different, different sources and experiences over the semester, um, I looked for some of these common themes in order to provide some recommendations, draw some conclusions, and, and provide some recommendations to the school division um, as, as things for them to consider in terms of their ongoing program improvement, thinking about the viability of the program and how to make it even stronger. Um, and so a couple were with regard to teacher recruitment. Um, thinking about how they could provide greater exposure uh, or how partnering with, uh, with IHEs, with, with teacher preparation programs, so that pre-service teachers could have greater exposure to a program, a dual language program, before they complete their programs to kind of spark that interest in becoming a dual language teacher. Um, and so um, then in that, yeah, and then also thinking about how they could be more intentional about hiring teachers um, who also have more bilingual skills. So that even if they're teaching the English side of dual, if they have even some level of proficiency in the other target language, in this case Spanish, uh, there would be some definite advantages there uh, for relating to their students, students' families, and the co-teacher. Um, Advocating for just greater preparation. Many of them said, I had no preparation for teaching in a dual language program. So even courses like uh, an a intro to linguistics or uh, second language acquisition courses would really be helpful even as part of a general ed program so that they had, would have at least some more of those skills uh, in, if they were to then teach in a, in a dual language program. Um, professional development, thinking about ways that they could extend the supports that they provide for their dual language teachers. Uh, an instructional coach in this division was new this past year. So they were, this was uh, first for them in that role, this particular person. And the teachers said, 
this person has been so valuable to us this year, but she's one person. We're like, you know, multiple schools. And so uh, is there any way that we could have a support person in each building uh, would be really helpful. And so that was uh, a concern or a recommendation that they voiced. Adding support um, for students' language development, uh, thinking about ways that they could provide more experiences for their students to have practical application of the Spanish that they're learning besides just in the classroom with their peers, and, um, and also how they could uh, create more uh, assessments in the target language, in the Spanish language, because what was happening was instruction was in Spanish, but all the assessment was being done in English. And so again, there wasn't good alignment for really being able to evaluate the program or where students were at developmentally. Uh, ways to, again, continue to encourage the effective instructional strategies for their teachers. Um, and so there were some supports in place, some programming in place, but there are ways that really they could um, they could be more intentional and um, in, in providing that sort of support for, for teachers. The collaboration, communication piece as well. Um, in thinking about, you know, a couple of them said, and I pass this on to then those that can make these decisions at a, at a division level, even at the beginning of the year, plan an opportunity to bring the dual language teachers together across schools at a grade level so that they can say, Oh, okay, so you, you all are the fourth grade teachers at this school, and what could we do to be more of a support to each other, to share resources, um, instead of just being told, oh, there's a Google folder on there somewhere, feel free to share resources if you want to. Um, so being more intentional about making that personal connection from the beginning of the year, and then allowing student, or teachers to follow up with those relationships throughout the year, um, you know, I think could be really, really helpful. Uh, setting aside a time, uh, setting time aside for them to be able to work specifically on developing materials uh, was another recommendation. And then um, hearing from some teachers that there are students that after a couple of years were clearly not invested in the program. And so isn't there a way for them to opt out or for students that are new to the division that even though they weren't there for kindergarten and first grade, how could they be assimilated into the program in their second grade year when they would really be a good candidate for the program? And so uh, having a better way to help with some of those transitions was, uh, was another recommendation. And then finally, um, there was this sense of, OK, part of our school is dual language focused, but the other is not. And so support staff, administration, some are on board, some really get it, some have those uh, multilingual skills, but others don't. And so couldn't they be more effective in reaching their goals if they had one or two schools in the division that completely housed the dual language program? Um, and that way, all the teachers, all the students would be teaching, collaborating from that same framework and perspective rather than it being kind of um, pieced out across multiple schools in the division. Clearly, there are some, some details that would need, would require a lot of forethought in order to do that, just in terms of transporting students to schools, uh, if it's not necessarily the one that's, you know, their closest neighborhood school. Um, but with anticipation, um, I believe that those are, those are challenges that could be addressed and that would really be in the best interest of the program, the teachers, and the students moving forward. Um, so real quickly, <laughs> I'm going to switch to, uh, so that was really the scholarship piece of, of my sabbatical. Um, I encourage those of you that are faculty to take advantage of the opportunity that's given to us to take uh, another a class 
some time. I kept putting it off, uh, saying that I was too busy. And so I was like, OK, during a sabbatical, it's my chance to take a class. I'm going to take a technology course that enhances my own teaching effectiveness. I uh, took a class with Tim Taylor through EMU called T uh, Everything Google. And <laughs> there are endless resources through Google as, uh, as teachers. And so it really helped to expand um, my own teaching skills and, um, and resources. But apart from that, it opened up other doors, uh, one that I hadn't anticipated in advance, but where I was asked then by that course instructor if I would prepare, based on some of my work with cultural responsiveness, um, culturally responsive pedagogy, with technology and share a presentation with the, uh, the, the VISTE, the VSTE community uh, here in Virginia. And so I did an online a webinar uh, in the spring that addressed that. Um, and then also was able to attend a conference uh, in New Orleans, co-presented with some colleagues from the, the Mid-Valley Consortium here in our area to share on this topic. Um, mentorship practices to prepare and retain culturally diverse and linguistically, linguistically competent teachers. And so again, um, it, was, it was neat in retrospect to see how many of these pieces kind of dovetailed or fit together in terms of my experiences. Um, and then with regard to service, two days after graduation, um, I left for Cusco, Peru for four weeks, uh, where I had, as I mentioned before, where I had lived and taught for six years before coming to EMU and spent nearly all of that time at the Promesa School there in Cusco. Um, and so it was an opportunity for me to provide some professional development for the teachers there, uh, reconnecting with some that I tried to visit once every other year, um, and, and so maintaining relationships with teachers, administrators, students, and families there. Uh, but every time I go, I meet new ones as well. And so I had the opportunity to, to do a one-day professional development with the teachers while I was there, and highlighted, uh, took some things from, from a common read within our department that we've been uh, doing, building a trauma-informed restorative school and using that as a, as a framework for some of the support that I was able to provide for teachers there during that time. Um, and of course, uh, it, it can't all be work. Uh, and so we played games, we ate food together. It was, uh, it was a great time of, of again, building and, and renewing those relationships there. Because I was there for a longer time, I was able to reconnect with more of the families of the school. And this is a unique opportunity. It was kind of different this time as well because the school is now at the point where there have been several years of graduates from the, the high school, from its you know, pre-K up through secondary. And so I was able to reconnect with students who in the last couple of years have graduated from the school. And so that was awesome. I can't. Uh, I, again, it was just, it was so neat to see where these students are at when I first met them as kindergartners and first graders uh, when we were first there. Oh, and this picture up here in the middle, some of you might recognize um, Ashok and, and Florina, who were here in EMU last year. And they ended up being in Cusco over the same time that I was there, connected with them. They stayed with the same, with the host family that I was staying with. Um, I got to be tour guide a little bit around Cusco. And, and so that was an awesome EMU connection in Cusco, too, that I wasn't anticipating when I, when I left. Um, the school is uh, working on a on a, a building project because they have been squished inside of a church facility for many, many years and, and so are now uh, working towards having their own school facility. And so this is just phase one that I got to see while I was down there. And so now they're working on um, the resourcing necessary to, to move on to the, the second phase of that. Um, and so if anybody ever wants to go down and visit Cusco or the school there, let me know. We'll work something out. 
Um, and I did a little bit of EMU recruiting while I was there. And we have our first PROMESA graduate who was a student here at EMU this year, a first year student, Saskia. And so I got to meet her family while I was there and kind of talk through some of the logistics of her coming here uh, to EMU. And, um, and so she's living uh, within our home um, during, this, during her time here at EMU. And so that was pretty awesome too, coming out of that experience. Okay, questions. That was like <laughs> rapid fire. <laughs> with regard to any piece of my experiences. If you just want to raise your hand, I'll bring the mic to you. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Abby Olmsted. I'm a senior here at EMU. You know me, Ron. Yeah. Um, so question for you about the dual language program and just kind of how it works in the classroom. So how can you keep kids engaged um, particularly in that classroom that's not their native language, right? Because immersion is the goal, that's yeah. the way to go. Yeah. Um, but when kids tune out, they're gone, yeah. right? So tell me a little bit about that. Right, so engagement, great question. Engagement is always uh, an important consideration as a teacher, right? And so thinking about, um, and then when, when you've got that challenge of the language piece as well, then it kind of raises it to another level. Um, particularly at the elementary level, and that's mostly what I can speak to. Um, so, maybe, <laughs> I, although I think it applies to secondary as well. It applies to secondary as well. Providing lots of visual support. You know, they're not going to understand every word that you're saying. So, supporting it with, um, with pictures, with models, with examples is critical. Um, drawing on the peer resources that are in the classroom. Uh, and so maybe there's a classmate who shares the same first language but is further along in their la English language development that can serve as a resource for that student to maybe do some translating or just providing some of the added support. Um, so that certainly is, uh, is, is another way to be helpful. Sometimes doing a little bit of pre-teaching, so to speak, like meeting with that student um, or those students with regard to content before you teach it so that they have time to either, and this could be more helpful at the secondary level, where they can access some resources about that content in their first language before you're teaching it so that they're able to then, oh, okay, especially if there's still some visual support, oh, I see where they're going with this or I can make this connection or, or that kind of thing to just uh, build that that, that prior knowledge from their first language that will then support them in what they're learning in perhaps a second or other language as well. A couple of ideas. Yeah. Hey, Ron. Um, my name is Stephanie. Um, I'm a senior in the teacher ed program. Um, and I wanted to know if, so when you have ELs, English learners that are identified as English learners in the dual programs, are they getting EL support on the English side or does that fall on the Spanish, like if they were hmm. native Spanish speakers, fall on the Spanish side of the classroom? Yeah, yeah, good question. And I'll preface this by saying it's not the same in every program or every school division. It depends on the resources that are available. Um, However, what I've observed and which, which, what is true in this particular school division that, um, that was the context for this study is that there were some who, even though they were in the dual language program, also did some either individual or small group work with the ESL teacher just for some other tier two, tier three support uh, in terms of their their language needs or their literacy needs. Um, and so obviously when those supports are available, that's ideal, but that's not, that's not always the case. And so sometimes it's just a matter of, yeah, what they, what they get in that half a day of target instruction in that particular language. Um, 
And sometimes then you've got, you have students that also have other identified needs that require the, the support from, from other staff in the building too. So it, it really is a collaborative effort for sure. Thanks, Ron. It's really great to just, yeah, have this bigger picture. Um, a question I have, and you may not know, but I'm wondering, I'm just curious, if you are a native Spanish speaker teaching in a dual language program, did you notice that retention would be higher hmm. for any reason? Um, or, or, yeah, I just wonder what that dynamic is, particularly adding the cultural dimension of feeling like you're really yeah. engaged with kids that are like your own or like your own community. Right, right. If that plays out in any way. Uh-huh. So that is a great question that I don't have like specific, I didn't co specifically collect data on that. However, anecdotally, uh, just based on, on my own observation and, and interactions that I've had in these schools, um, I would say that that is true, that there is greater retention, longevity of teachers who are teaching Spanish as their, in their, as their first language. Um, and I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is just their own confidence level in teaching in, in that language. The other being that um, that's probably what has been there in to the school anyway, and so uh, they probably wouldn't feel, some of them may not feel comfortable teaching in an English-only classroom. And so if they're going to teach, it's going to be in a Spanish classroom. Whereas if you have some where English is, you know, they're bilingual, English is their first language, but some of them are still teaching in uh, the Spanish side of dual, they just, if they're in any way dissatisfied with the program, they still have other options. And so they'll, you know, go to an to an English-only classroom. I mean, I know of, of a, several teachers who have done that, who started out in dual Spanish and then moved to a, to a dual English classroom, or uh, an English-only, or the English side of dual. So, Ron, I remember when I uh, read your sabbatical proposal, I thought it was a bit too ambitious, but you did what you proposed, so I, I'm impressed. I want to talk about the scholarship piece. Um, I love that it was multiple methods, surveys, mm -hmm. interviews, observations. And you address the, the micro and meso levels, you address the classroom, and you address the school. In the, uh, in the macro level, uh, what's happening in public education writ large, because public education has become the arena for the polarization in our country in some ways. Uh, and so we have things like critical race theory, uh, transgender rights, uh, and in past years, opposition to um, anything that was other than English only. Hmm. So I'm yeah. wondering if, if you have seen that happen at all. I think this community is quite supportive of dual language mm -hmm. education, but mm -hmm. what's happening at the broader macro level? Yeah, oh, great, great questions, Dave. And I think that, um, you know, there is, there are, are dual language programs that are continuing to, to spring up as people, again, realize the many benefits of them, especially in the multicultural society that we live in. Um, there are so many advantages for also breaking down some of those, uh, those barriers and the polarization that happens in society in general. And so dual language uh, schools, programs can be an opportunity to really address some of those and, and, uh, and, and number one, create more equitable learning environments for students uh, whose English, for whom English is not their first language. But also, you know, when they're in classroom, when students are in classrooms with each other, or when you've got um, parents whose children are in classrooms with each other, who are making some of these connections across differing cultural backgrounds, it really is a, uh, a, a tool for a way to, to break down some of those, some of those barriers, um, some of that polarization. And so uh, 
I think that there are, um, I mean, across the country, there are more dual language programs springing up. The challenge is finding the teachers for them. And so uh, even here locally, they're going to places like Texas or California or Florida where there's a higher Spanish-speaking population to try to find teachers, bilingual teachers there, to bring them here. They're going outside of the United States to, uh, to many Central American countries, South American, trying to recruit teachers to come here. And then there's the challenge of, does their teaching license transfer to the states? And many of them are needing to go back to, um, to, to school to get their teaching license here uh, as they're teaching on a provisional license. And so that compounds the work that they have to do in this time of transition. Um, so anyway, that in some ways goes beyond what your question was. But I, I do think on a macro level, the, the trend is towards seeing the benefits of a program. But there are limitations in place that would keep it from multiplying as quickly as we would like it to. I have the mic, so I'm going to ask the question. Um, what's the difference between the ESL instruction versus a dual language instruction? Yeah. Um, so ESL tends to be targeted on providing support for students who are otherwise just in a English classroom all day long, where all of the instruction is in English. Whereas in the dual language program, they've got half of their, in this, in this particular case, half of the instruction a day is, is in Spanish, the other half is in English. And there are many different models of dual language programs. This one was a 50-50 model, but there are full immersion programs where the students, it's kind of a sink or swim, you know, they're in a Spanish-speaking classroom where even though English, they might not know any Spanish before. Uh, so it's 100% you know, immersion. There are 80-20 models. There are 90-10. There are many different models. This particular study was the context was a 50-50. Was a Thank you. Yeah. I think we have time for maybe one more question. Oops. <laughs> And I, I was intrigued, but not surprised, when, <laughs> when there was a disconnect between, was it aspirational plan? Is that what it was? Or oh, the articulation plan. Oh, thank plan. you. The articulation plan mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a teacher's agency for what yes. they would see as best practices. Yes. Um, how do you coach for navigating that sort of dynamic? Yeah. Yes. So um, I think that the instructional coach that the division uh, has employed this year is really key to this. And, and, and again, in many ways, she was just kind of trying to figure out her role this year, but I could see her serving as kind of that liaison, as kind of a in-between decisions that are being made in central office and what teachers are experiencing in their classrooms. Um, and so I'm hopeful that they can make some, some changes, but again, she's one person and she, she there's, there are lots of reasons why it would be helpful to have more folks in those particular roles um, to, to navigate that. But, I mean, this is true for teachers in any sort of program, right? If there's not, if their voices are never part of the decision-making process, then motivation is going to be low. And especially if the changes are constant, like, okay, this year we're doing it this year. Oh, now next year, now we have a completely different curriculum that we're using or a focus area or whatever. And so it just compounds the work for, for teachers. And some of them say, I'm not doing this anymore. So the bottom line for me in that is just the importance of really making sure that the teachers that are doing this day in and day out in the classroom that they have, that they're a part of those decisions um, as they're being made. Thank you, Ron. Uh, question on 
supplementing the work that goes on in the school system. Mm -hmm. For example, th during the summer, I would assume these kids have issues in maintaining, if they're, particularly if that's not their first language and so forth. Are there like sports camps or other kinds of things where students could actually participate that these things are designed to complement what's going in, on in the schools? So is something that we could do at EMU to sponsor a, a sports camp or a music camp or something where you would bring together and, and do some of the similar things that you're doing in a classroom, but do it around activity? I don't know the extent to which that's happening, but it's a great idea um, for sure. And, um, and so, well, I'll just, again, anecdotally, my, my daughter did a one-week music camp this past, past summer um, for, but it was particularly for, um, for Spanish-speaking students who don't necessarily have opportunities to have that type of experience or instruction in their first language. But it certainly could be expanded to students who are learning Spanish as their, as their second language uh, because it was primarily taught in Spanish. Um, but sports camps would be another good idea. I know with some of the summer school programming, and, and this I don't know for sure, there might be some others, Wendell, I don't know, some others of you that maybe have uh, children that are in the dual language program. I don't know if the school division provides any sort of summer experiences. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but certainly that, that would be a great recommendation for thinking about both in the school and in the community, EMU included, how could we be a part of supporting, maintaining those language skills? Um, and, and certainly thinking about, as a teacher preparation program, how can we recruit um, students who are coming out of a dual language experience, K-12 experience, to prepare them to return to dual language classrooms as teachers in, uh, themselves. So that's, um, that's on our agenda as a department <laughs> and personally. Thanks so much, Ron, for yeah. a really uh, interesting. I feel like I got a window into what's going on in our schools and our local community that I normally don't have. So I appreciate that. Uh, we've got a few goodies spread out upstairs if you want to hang out a little bit and um, chat more informally with Ron that's your opportunity thank you all for coming uh, next month third Wednesday I don't remember the date exactly and who do we have lined up is that that's our panel our panel discussion that's going to talk to us about uh, graphic novels and memoirs and how to read them and how to teach them and so on so come back then <laughs>